It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. All right, Jason, I know by now that you're not the biggest fan of national holidays. Mm, no, because I think we've done probably five with this kind of theme, <laughs> and it's starting to be a little bit like, maybe we're jumping the shark on this theme a little no. bit. Maybe we're jumping the shark, like Arthur Fonzarelli. No, Yeah, no, I'm starting to feel no. that way, Whitney. I am just being honest. We're best friends. Got to be honest with each other. Well, first of all, I have to say that when I listened back to the Adopt a Shelter Pet Day and we started off talking about National Shrimp Scampi Day, I was quite amused by that. I thought it was fun. No, I agree. I mean, I begrudgingly said yes to that, especially when I saw it on our, our list of podcast topics that we keep in Google Docs. I was like, again, to reiterate, like, is she serious right now? What the hell is going on? But we parlayed it into, I think, a really wonderful, deep discussion about the ethics of animal adoption and the health benefits of companion animals. But I still do like cringe a little bit whenever you're like, it's another national holiday. Like yesterday, if I may, real quickly, I was looking on Instagram as we do, and it was National Naked Gardening Day. And I'm like, good God, like, can any, we're just making shit up at this point. We're just For sure. pulling shit out of our ass and being like, hey, let's celebrate National Snort Some Ground Cardamom Day. Like, why would anyone snort cardamom? It's delicious, but please don't snort it. Well, here's the thing. The reason that I often do this is so that we always have something interesting to talk about. Because sometimes, most times, we should say, we're making things up. We don't really plan that much with the podcast. And that's not because we're lazy. It's simply because we like to make things really authentic and organic on this show. And we always have something to talk about. It just takes a little while. So I use that as a spark in the conversation. And many times we've had a day that has really turned into some great topics. And today is included with that because I wouldn't have actually thought to dive in deeper on this subject matter were it not for this national day. Because you can read the words, but then when you go and you look it up, there's a lot of interesting information about it. Maybe not a National Shrimp Scampi Day, aside from that being an inside joke between us, which if you haven't listened to the episode yet, for the listener, <laughs> we encourage you. It's just a few episodes back and you can learn a little bit about an inside joke Jason and I had and the origins and then how that somehow turned into a different conversation about <laughs> plant-based seafood. But I will go and research some of these days and some of them have really interesting histories and some of them have just fascinating discussions. And today, it is National Eat What You Want Day. And before I dive into it, Jason, how would you define that without like knowing much about this random national holiday? What do you think that means? If you could see my brow, it's furrowed right now. It's furrowed. Like National Eat What You... Why? Is this because we have such a strange culture around making people feel guilty around their food choices is that it's like, you know what? We've shamed people and guilted people into eating a specific way for so long that damn it, we're going to make a day where you can eat whatever you want. You are now liberated from the shackles of dietary preferences and strict eating guidelines and eat what you want. Like we needed to make a day out of that. And to me, my first thought goes toward the unhealthy psychology behind eating in our culture. 
Yes. That if we need to designate a day to give you permission to eat whatever you want, to me, that lends itself to, we have a very, very toxic psychology around eating then. If we have to designate a holiday to give you permission to eat what you want, that's why my brow is furrowed right now. It's like, are you serious? Correct. And I am serious. And so I pulled up a few different articles, some that take this quite literally and seriously and and are just kind of exploring the day. And then as I was researching it, I saw a number of articles on legitimate websites, well-known websites, I should say, recognizable websites. I'm not trying to say that other websites aren't legitimate, but people are getting really fired up about this. So I thought it was a really interesting subject to talk about. And food is such a huge part of our well-being. It's a big part of our lives. And Jason and I each have a career heavily based in food. And it's interesting because we don't talk about food necessarily as a rule. Like I think people assume that our podcast is about veganism because Jason and I both work in in the vegan worlds. But actually, a lot of our episodes barely even talk about food. So I thought it'd be fun to do a whole episode dedicated to food, but also some of the psychology of it, how the cultural shame can be. And yeah, let me just dive in first. So I found an article. We will link to all of the articles that we mentioned in this episode at wellevator.com. That's our website. It's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And if you click on the podcast section, you'll find this episode and you can see all of the articles if you want to dig in deeper. And this one is from daysoftheyear.com, which is a nice in-depth website. And here is a little definition or explanation about what this day is. So many people spend time stressing over their diet and what they should or shouldn't eat, mainly because today's world is filled with magazine covers sporting perfectly toned, perfectly tanned models that constantly make us feel inadequate. The various health food fads that seem to come and go every few weeks definitely don't help either. As it turns out, a gluten-free diet is not particularly good for anyone who isn't actually allergic to gluten. Jason and I would beg to differ with that. (laughs) Juice cleanses deprive us of the protein and fat our bodies need to function properly. And again, that's another thing that Jason and I could debate. (laughs) Gosh, actually, even this, this paragraph here is giving me a lot to speak on. If you, like many people these days, are beginning to feel disillusioned with all of these things, you will glad to hear you will be glad to hear about eat what you want day. So here's the history. It was created by Thomas and Ruth Roy to help people break away from the frustrating health and diet trends of the year, if only for one day, and just let go and enjoy life a little. Most nutritionists seem to agree that giving yourself a break every now and then can actually be good for us and that forcing ourselves to eat only low-calorie, tasteless foods for prolonged periods of time is likely to cause us to suddenly gorge on everything in sight when our determination is off. So why should you celebrate Eat What You Want Day? Well, this website is our big advocates of the holiday. A lot of people have had a structured way of consuming food. They have to be careful about what they eat. Otherwise, they'll put on weight and their health will suffer. Not everyone is blessed with a naturally fast metabolism. However, Eat What You Want Day gives you the perfect opportunity to have the freedom to choose what you want without feeling guilty about it. It's also perfect if there is something that you've wanted to try for a while, but you've been holding out because you don't want to cheat on your diet. (laughs) There's a huge section about how to celebrate. And some of the highlights from that is just eating whatever you want. (laughs) If it's not obvious enough, stop counting calories, 
You might want to indulge or splurge financially to go to a a nicer restaurant and spend a little bit more money on food. You could recreate a favorite childhood meal at your home. Have some comfort food. Oh, this is interesting. Or maybe if you're a strict vegetarian who can't help but miss steak or shrimp every now and then, maybe you should treat yourself to something you wouldn't usually eat just to reward your body for the tasty things it has to go without on a daily basis. Oh, I'm getting a little triggered by this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I have to say there's a number of points in this website article that I strongly disagree with or find in not very accurate or well, at least from my perspective. So we can start by diving into some of that. I mean, I'll just go real quick. Number one is uh, this point about gluten-free not being particularly good if you're not allergic to gluten. That's certainly been a big debate. And I am choose to eat mostly gluten-free myself because it actually makes me feel a lot better. And it's reduced inflammation in my body. It's helped me heal my gut in a lot of ways. I mean, I felt it drastically different when I switched over to being mostly gluten-free. And Jason has a similar story. Each of us have done juice cleanses or various detox programs. And I wouldn't say that they're necessarily depriving you (laughs) of the things that you need to function properly. In fact, some of them actually give your body a break so that it can function more optimally. But it depends a lot on which one you're doing. So I think that's a big misnomer there. And certainly this idea that you have to count calories all the time or that once a year you're going to spend money on a splurge in a nice restaurant. I mean, I suppose that all depends on on your financial situation and your perspective on that. But certainly the part that triggers me, and it sounds like Jason a lot, is this part that if you're a strict vegetarian, maybe you should treat yourself one day a year and eat something non-vegetarian. I mean, listen, if you can do whatever you want, I guess this is the big perspective that I have. And I'm very curious about what you have to say about this, Jason. But (laughs) I don't want to make any judgments, first of all. And I also want to say Jason and I are not medical professionals. We're not doctors. We're not nutritionists. We're not dietitians, like on and on. We don't have those certifications. We don't claim to. We speak about our personal experience and our professional experiences too. We've both worked in the food industry for a long time. We heavily researched things. We know a lot of doctors and and read their books and take their programs. I mean, just because we don't have those certifications doesn't mean that we're not knowledgeable. But I also think it's very important, ourselves included, not to make a lot of these assumptions. I mean, this article, who knows who it's going to influence, right? You're putting it into people's mind that juice cleanses are bad for your body or that you shouldn't bother eating gluten-free if you're not allergic to it or that if you're a vegetarian, like it's okay to cheat and, and all of that. And it's okay to do anything you want in most, well, <laughs> as long as it doesn't cause significant harm to somebody. But on that point, part of the reason that people go vegetarian is to cause less harm in the world. So I guess it really depends on your motives, right, Jason? I mean, I just think it's so interesting. Some of the phrases that this author chooses to use is that this idea that we as human beings shouldn't ever deprive ourselves or maybe it's saying that we should deprive ourselves 364 days of the year and only have one day where we just go berserk. It's almost like that movie, The Purge. Did you ever see that, Jason? Yeah, this is the nutritional version of The Purge. (laughs) 
100%. And on this day, you can do whatever the hell you want. I mean, it, it is that. And it's funny that you make that correlation because for me, the biggest red flag in this article is the assertion that if you subscribe to a, quote, healthier lifestyle, dietary lifestyle, be that vegetarianism, or we could even throw in, you know, substitute anything for that, paleo, keto, primal, vegan, whatever version of that the listener may or may not subscribe to. The assertion of this article that is most concerning to me is it's inherently purporting that if you eat healthy, you're depriving yourself and it's going to be boring to the point that you will need a day to be bad and have a cheat day and lash out. And knowing so many people, not just our circle of vegans and vegetarians, and as Whitney said, doctors and health professionals and nutritionists, we have some really phenomenal, wise, knowledgeable people in our circle of friends and colleagues. But we also know paleo people and keto people, and I know people on the carnivore diet. And I guess my point is that the people that I know who are doing this in a way that is conscientious and balanced and well-researched, whatever their lifestyle and dietary preference, there's no sense of deprivation. You know, when I talk to our friends or colleagues, again, regardless of their specific preference, we never have conversations about like, oh God, I wish I could just like eat like two bags worth of like fried fish sticks and tartar sauce covered in salted caramel and dunked in a milkshake. In fact, let's do a fish stick tartar sauce caramel milkshake. Like we don't have those kind of conversations. So the most dangerous concerning assertion I'll reiterate is that they're assuming in this article that because you eat healthy, therefore you will feel psychologically deprived. And I think flat out that's just bullshit. Absolutely. And another article I pulled up from Inc.com said, a cheat day implies that every other meal is one that you don't want to eat. A cheat day implies you're almost forcing yourself to eat other foods. And if those aren't the foods that you want, then you don't really want to eat this particular diet that you're on. And man, I mean, we can get really deep on this. And, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Currently, we're, we're recording at the beginning of May 2020, and we're still in the um, stay-at-home order, aka quarantine, in Los Angeles. And it's been a big topic of discussion about the quarantine diet. And I think about that almost every day. And, and part of that is because I have had disordered eating, and that's, in my opinion, a, a big psychological condition where you can become very obsessed with your food and count your calories. I mean, I can't even tell you off the top of my head, although it would be really interesting to like try to journal it out, how many different variations of diets I've tried. And including on the vegan diet, I've been eating vegan since 2003. So 17 years now. Actually, it was in I went vegetarian in May 2003 and vegan later on that year. But anyways, I've done a lot of variations of the plant-based diet as well. But before that, certainly did a, a number of them too. And there's part of me that's very fascinated with it. I like to experiment a lot. Jason and I both are like to tweak our health regiments in a lot of different ways and see how we feel and see how we look and on and on. I've written a whole book about the vegan keto diet. And that's a diet that's actually worked really well for me. 
But my point here being, it's so easy to become obsessed with food. And I've noticed a lot during quarantine how I've had moments where I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. I'm in quarantine. Like, I'm already stressed. I feel anxious. Like, you know, I'm definitely eating from my emotions at certain times. Sometimes I'm eating out of boredom, which is also an emotion. And then other times I feel unhappy with my food decisions. And that's something I like to reflect on a lot too, is, is what exactly is this guilt or unhappiness or shame? Well, those type of emotions, like why is it that we feel them around our food? And that's something I want to discuss today, Jason. The same thing is true with being vegan or, or even vegetarian. There's so much judgment about what you should and shouldn't eat. Even when you think that you're eating a fully plant-based diet, people can pick on you for eating a certain type of sugar because there was bone char in it or eating palm oil because palm oil might have come from a place that orangutans were affected. I mean, you could actually get to an extreme point of veganism, not to mention all the different diets within veganism, like the high-carb 80-10-10 raw food diets and the no-oil, salt, or sugar diets or the entirely whole foods diet. I mean, all these different versions of veganism as well. I mean, it's actually pretty easy to, to fall into or get into the gray area of orthorexia and just become so obsessed with every single ingredient and how much you're having of it and where the sourcing came from and get to this point where food becomes incredibly stressful. And I think culturally, whether you're vegan or not, this is a huge part of our society, at least in America and other similar countries out there, is, is that we get to this point where we've eating a certain way because other people have told us that's the way we should eat. And the media has told us that if we want to look a certain way, we need to eat these foods. And it's just become incredibly frustrating and stressful. No wonder there's a national holiday for something like this. But it, it kind of actually seems crazy to me that it's like one day a year. That certainly can't be the case. I think people think that they're, quote, cheating on their diets often, right? I mean, cheat days is like there was a day that was going YOLO, YOLO meals. Remember those, Jason? Oh, yeah. That was like a big trend a few years ago. <laughs> I don't know if that's... It was YOLO everything. That was probably 2016 at the peak yeah. of YOLO. Remember that? It was like a YOLO meal or YOLO day. And it was like, hey, you only live once, so you might as well. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's interesting. I've seen people like Tim Ferriss approach this from a seemingly balanced perspective. We've talked about Tim Ferriss in, in other episodes. And for the most part, I agree with a lot of the things he says. I think he's very well-researched and knowledgeable, and he's got great perspectives on things. And I think, actually, I'm not even 100% sure, but from my recollection, he subscribes to this cheat day mentality. And I think from my understanding, it's like, hey, he's he's eating a pretty regimented diet throughout the week. So once a week, he allows himself to just indulge in whatever he wants. And I mean, that to me seems more balanced because I think he's actually said in, in another one of our episodes where he talked about how he wasn't reading any new books in 2020 in that article, he was saying how he's a bit of an all or nothing person. And that's something I can relate to is that he does better on a strict diet because if he's too lenient with himself, then he will just overindulge. And I experienced that a lot. This is part of the reason I was very drawn to the keto diet. I felt really good on vegan keto, which is like low carb, high fat diet. 
it felt great for my body, but also it felt structured. And so I felt like I was able to like kind of follow the rules a little bit, even though I don't like the word rules when it comes to eating. It just like, it helped me stay in line. But I will say, I often wonder about myself, what's real? Is it me really feeling like I'm balanced or are the rules just another example of how I've struggled with an eating disorder and like for me limiting my food and restricting myself? Am I only doing that because there's part of me that still has that eating disorder? You know what I mean? So it's really tricky when you talk about any of these things and and like what is real balance when it comes to food and how strict should we be? And to me, if you're only cheating once a year, that seems pretty darn strict. There's so much that comes up around all this to unpack the psychology of eating. And and I think the first thing that I want to touch on is the difference between the ethical considerations that one might make around their food choices regarding how it's sourced, how it's grown. Is it organic? Is it genetically modified? Has it come from a factory farm or a CAFO operation? Does it come from a local farm? Is it vegan? Is it humanely raised? I mean, there's a lot of deep ethical considerations. But I think the point that we're getting into, Whitney, if I may, is the difference. And to me, it's a massive difference between ethical consideration of what type of food industries do we want to support versus personal virtue. And I think that for a lot of people, myself included, I remember when I was doing fully raw and high raw for a good four years when I graduated culinary school, there was this idea for me The analogy I like to say is there was some illusory gold medal of eating that I was trying to get. Like, I'm going to be the most strict raw foodist. I'm not going to eat anything that's cooked over 118 degrees. I'm going to buy only organic. I'm only going to buy from the local farmer's market. I was very, very, very strict about that. And I arrived at a point where I felt very psychologically imbalanced around all that. And I felt physically imbalanced because I wasn't listening to my body anymore. I was coming at it from a very structured virtuous perspective of if I make these specific food choices and I support only these industries and only these companies and only this type of food, then that somehow reflects the depth and breadth of my personal virtue. Like people will look at me and go like, wow, he's such an inspiration. Look, look how regimented he is. Look how strict he is. Actually, you know what it is? It's purity. That's the word is like, look how pure he is. And I think to me, I had to separate this notion that I was doing things to try and create an image for myself that other people would aspire to, or other people would would be like, wow, look at his work ethic. Look at his eating ethic. Look how much time he spends in the kitchen to make all these dehydrated crackers and all these superfoods. And I realized that I was doing it for, again, to try and attain some sort of personal purity or personal virtue. And I think in some degree, I was on the orthorexic spectrum of not really honoring what my body needed, but coming at it from such a mental construct of purity and virtue. And to me, I had to realize there's no gold medal for being the best vegan. There's no gold medal for being the best raw foodist, paleo person, keto person, carnivore. There's no gold medal. No one's handing out medals at the grocery store, guys. It's not happening. And I think there's still this deeply flawed association that a lot of people have where they associate their value and their worth and their virtue with how they eat and the degree of extremity to which they eat within that diet. And I've certainly been there. Absolutely. And 
social media certainly can aggravate this. So can forums and videos. And I think ultimately we're all just searching for what we think will make us safe. I mean, it comes down to survival, right? I mean, food is a huge part of our lives because we need it to be alive. And we have this concern with staying healthy because we want to survive as long as possible. That's just one of the most primal things, if not the most primal things about us as human beings. And so it's very easy for us to become triggered and have this desire to live the right way so that that can lead to us living as long as possible. And Jason, you of all people, you know, you've studied longevity a lot, right? And you've put together a lot of great tips on longevity. And one thing I really love about your perspective and your method, your way of of sharing this information is very balanced and fun. And I'm very biased now because we've known each other for so long. But if I look back on what I thought of you before I really got to know you is that exact feeling of that you were just this happy guy who had a wealth of knowledge. I remember feeling a little intimidated by you because, <laughs> because you were so knowledgeable. In fact, when you and I met, you were doing a food demo for superfoods, I think. Yeah, ultimate superfoods. Mm-hmm. That was at Natural Products Expo. And you've done a lot of those different... I was trying to think if it was Sun Warrior, but no. You have done demos for Sun Warrior though, right? Yeah. The two biggest companies that I have been most involved with in, in the early days, probably from, wow, 2010 to about 2013, I was really doing the live food demos at the Natural Products Expo West and East for Ultimate Superfoods. And then once I really started to dig in and use Sun Warrior products, I was doing live food demos for them. And the idea there was for anyone who's never been to the Natural Products Expo, or if you have been and you're a, a consistent annual goer like Whitney and I, you know that it's extremely hard to find fresh food, fresh made food there. A lot of the samples are dried and packaged. And so we would get a lot of traffic at the booths when I would be there doing you know, a fresh kale salad with a strawberry vinaigrette or walnut tacos or something like that or fresh smoothies with Sun Warrior. So part of the draw of doing these food demos was to really give people a pit stop, so to speak, of, hey, come get recharged, come get refreshed, eat freshly made food from a chef so you can go on with your day and feel recharged and energized. And, and we had great success. We still do. Whenever I show up and do a food demo, there's, there's always a really good crowd. Well, because you do this with so much enthusiasm, and that was part of my point, is that you are very good about taking your knowledge and making it approachable. And I think that's one of the reasons that people are very drawn to you is they don't feel like you're going to intimidate them or shame them. (laughs) You're mainly like, hey, these are all the health benefits of things, you know? And I think about you doing these food demos and you stand there with so much confidence and you, you make jokes, you make people laugh, and then you make really great food. And that's like the ultimate combination. <laughs> and I feel bad for any of the listeners who haven't had a chance to witness how you are in person. And I, I hope that once the world heals a bit and we move into a place where we can interact with each other in large groups again, hopefully, hopefully it's not a permanent change. But uh, in our lifetimes, I suppose, I, I hope that there are festivals and conventions and things because you do such a great job sharing all of that. I just think about these brands like Sun Warrior, who's the sponsor of our show, and and how they also have that same mentality. You and I have both worked for them. And now, now they're a sponsor of this podcast, which is just so cool. And we use their products so regularly. And what I really, really like about them is that they have a great taste and they have great ingredients that make you feel good. 
And when I think about Sun Warrior right now, I think about how I, I use their lean meal protein powder to make coffee smoothies. And coffee is one of those topics that people get really fired up about. It is a contentious topic. We'll use that word. Very contentious. For sure. I mean, gosh, I feel like I've been in so many different versions of veganism. I mean, going vegan in itself, at least back when I did it in 2003, it was like I felt so alone until I started to meet other vegans. But it took me years to meet other vegans. And then when I went gluten-free, I was like so nervous about talking about it. I started going eating gluten-free in 2010. And I remember writing blog posts about it and like feeling just nervous that people were going to judge me about it. I think that's why in articles like we mentioned earlier, I get, I feel very um, sensitive to that subject of people saying like, you shouldn't even bother eating gluten-free unless you're allergic to it. And I just disagree with that based on my personal experiences. I think it really does depend on your motivation. And then certainly when I tried the keto diet in 2018 and then released a book about it earlier this year in 2020, I mean, I still feel uncomfortable talking about keto. But then I started seeing brands like Sun Warrior very confidently marketing themselves as, as keto friendly. And I started to feel <laughs> a little less alone, you know, and, and they're one of those brands that's really been encouraging people to eat healthier on that. I mean, one of the challenges, and actually I want to take back that word healthy because I feel like that word doesn't, what does that word even mean, healthy? It's probably one of the most subjective words because one man's poison is another one's panacea. I mean, th this couldn't be more true in terms of the genetic variants and minute as they are in our DNA sequence. As long as I have been vegan and eating plant-based and continue to be a proponent, as you are, Whitney, of the myriad benefits of eating plant-based and the great products we love to use and always promoting those as we do Sun Warrior as an example, I think deeming something healthy or unhealthy is kind of a dangerous sweeping generalization that people get into. And, and, and I do think, you know, kind of go back to our point really quickly of, I don't know, the spectrum of all of these dietary lifestyle choices and the psychology behind it. I think that one of the reasons that I was so hardcore when I was a raw foodist was this idea that I had found the panacea, that this is the ultimate way for humans to eat. All humans should eat this way. Here's why. But the more I dug into the research and the more I personally learned about the idea of epigenetics and how food and lifestyle influence our gene expression and that those minute variations in our genetic DNA code combined with this idea of perhaps ancestral diets and eating closer to how our ancestors eat, there's so many different versions of this. My point is, I am not the kind of person who's going to say one type of eating or lifestyle choice is appropriate for all nearly 8 billion humans on the planet. I'm not the kind of person who goes out there, and I, I never have actually said all humans should be vegan, or all humans should be raw foodists, or all humans should be whole food plant-based. I don't believe that. I believe that my choices are my choices. They're in alignment with my life and my physiology and my mind and, and my sense of ethics. But I don't expect or promote that every single person should eat or live or consume in a particular way. I do think, though, that the more people research and the more that they align with their sense of personal ethics and what feels good to them and what perhaps can lessen our, our deleterious impact on the earth, those are good choices, whatever that means to the individual. Absolutely. And I think if you can look at different definitions or or even just synonyms for the word healthy or healthiest and all that is a lot of times that means whole foods, that means unprocessed, that means 
nourishing foods. And some people throw around the term like clean, (laughs) clean eating. (laughs) And you know, you can't really blame people because a lot of times we just pick up words based on what other people are saying. I, I think it's very similar as clean eating is generally associated with unprocessed foods and meaning like you are eating foods that are benefiting your body more than they are harming it versus, you know, we eat junk food. The the reason that it's called junk food, in my opinion, is that it's something that tastes good, but isn't nourishing us. It's something that's probably stripped of vitamins and minerals and enzymes and all of those things. It's very heavily processed and the benefits just aren't there. But it, it might taste really good. And I think this is part of this idea of cheat days is like, I just want to eat food that tastes good versus people that have this misconception that food that's good for you isn't going to taste good. And that that has frustrated me for so long. And there's still this idea of, wow, I'm surprised that tastes good. Oh, vegan cheese. Actually, I enjoy this. (laughs) That's one of your voices, Jason. (laughs) I mean, look, it's about what we're exposed to. And wait, can you do that voice though? I love it. I love it when you do that voice. You do it much better than I do. Yeah, it's funny. Whenever whenever I do these food demos or I go on on tour and do my whatever food and stand up comedy thing, yeah, it, it happens a lot where people are like, I didn't know that you could make a brie out of cashews. Oh my, oh my god! <laughs> and it's it's funny. And I also love it though. It, I, I make fun because I love people, and I also think it's magical to witness in real time people's conceptions sort of melt down. Like I didn't know whatever it could, could be this good. And I think that one of the brilliant things about, you know, the products that we recommend, because Whitney and I, we try a lot of products every year. I mean, we probably try hundreds of new products between the trade shows and the longevity conferences and the speaking appearances we do. And getting sent product samples. And getting sent product samples. We have the beautiful blessing to sample and try and experiment with our bodies a lot of different foods and beverages and supplements and superfoods. And and I want to make a point about supplements. And I know know that we've touched on this in a previous episode. I I believe when we were talking about farming, I I believe it was that episode about organic farming. We can link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. But I want to reiterate this point about over the years, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, you don't need supplements. Supplements are bullshit. And you just piss most of the vitamins out. and You don't really get the benefits. It's a massive misnomer because to reiterate a point in a previous episode, through monocropping and monoculture and GMOs and stripping our soil of the nutrients, the nutrients in our soil, unless you're getting it from a farmer that you know how they're taking care of their soil, or perhaps on the highest level, you're growing your own food, because of the topsoil erosion and the remediation of the soil, we're not getting the kind of nutrients in our crops as we did in our parents' generation and certainly our grandparents' or great-grandparents' generation. So for me, since we're not getting as nutrient-dense of a diet as we did in previous generations, I am a big fan of supplements. And I'm also a big fan of supplementation because it's an easy way, especially if you're getting high-quality supplements, to get a lot of your daily nutrition, your vitamin D, your vitamin A, your B-complex, your E, your copper, your zinc. You know, We could go on and on, your manganese, your magnesium. We go back to Sun Warrior, which is something I've been using for a decade and you almost as long, Whitney. I use it because it's an easy thing for me to take their lean meal or, you know, one of my newest favorites is their, you know, their beauty greens and their collagen. You've, you and I have both been enjoying that. 
you put a scoop of either one of those in your morning smoothie or your oatmeal or your chia pudding or even your pancakes. I've made pancakes with a lean meal. And it's just an easy way to get that additional supplementation. And it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And it also makes it taste even better because going back to that coffee smoothie I mentioned, which I will link in the show notes, I recently did a YouTube video using this. And it was a coffee smoothie with coffee-flavored boba. Oh, God. And you're sending me videos teasing me. You're like, wish you were here. I'm like, I can't because we're social distancing. However, I told you that if you came by during a time where you were willing to have coffee, whatever your cutoff point is. For me, my coffee cutoff point is usually around 4 o'clock based on my schedule. But anyways, I am addicted to making that coffee smoothie because the Sun Warrior protein has salted caramel flavor in it. And because you're adding in that protein with all of the other amazing benefits of it for your gut. And can you read, Jason, off the top of that sheet or the packaging where they share all the benefits? Because like, if you look at some of these products, it's unbelievable what you're getting. My point is that it, it ha- adds an amazing flavor. But in addition to that, you get all of these health benefits. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like looking at really the full, it's full spectrum nutrition. And we talk about NFP, which is our fancy way in the food industry, nutritional industry of saying nutritional fact panel. So for all of you who are listeners who are avid label readers, when you flip it over and look at the nutrition facts and the ingredient label, that's called the NFP, nutritional fact panel. And the thing that I always look for, for me, I'm not vegan keto by any stretch, although I have been turned on to so much knowledge by Whitney and her amazing book. But I do find that eating a higher protein, more nutrient-dense diet feels better for my body. So if I look at something like the lean meal that we've both been enjoying at Sun Warrior, it's 15 grams of protein for two scoops, and it's only 140 calories, three grams of fat, zero grams of sugar, which is amazing. But again, you look at the NFP, and I'm more interested personally in the micronutrients, right? The macros are cool, proteins, fats, carbs, but I'm always interested in looking at the magnesium, the vitamin B, the riboflavin, the manganese, and you look at how balanced it is here. And the probiotics, and doesn't it say on one of the sides of the, I don't have the package in front of me like you do, but doesn't it have like that little diagram where it's like, this is good for your gut? Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing that I'm always looking for too, and to make a sweeping generalization about health, I know we said one version of healthy is not appropriate for every person, but I do think that all people can benefit from really adding more probiotics into their diet. You know, we can make a sweeping generalization that if you have a healthy balance of beneficial flora in your gut, it is going to influence your mental health. We know that 80 to 85% of the serotonin, which is the feel-good neurotransmitter, is actually manufactured in your gut, not the brain. So one of the big things I love with Sun Warrior is a lot of their products, many of their products have probiotics in there. So this particular one, the Lean Meal, has soil-based probiotics. It's 2 billion CFUs per serving, which I love that, right? And you look at, again, their their collagen, their beauty greens, which I love because I'm trying to look young in my 40s, you know? They actually have a full-spectrum probiotics in here. They've got a blend of acidophilus, plantarum, casei, raminosis, lactis, salivaris, and bifidum. Those are some pretty heavy hitters. And to me, it's not about getting one particular strain of probiotics in the gut health I've researched, but making sure you get multiple strains, right? So some people are like, I'm just going to take lactobacillus. I'm just going to take bifidum. Those are great. But to me, it's about getting a variety of probiotics in your gut, much like eating the rainbow diet. I'm a big, big fan in general of 
eating as many colors as you can, greens, reds, blues, purples, because then you're really getting full spectrum nutrition that way. And I will say that when I eat a diet that is rich in probiotics, whether the probiotics are coming from my food, but in most cases, I would say I get my probiotics from something like the Sunwear powders, or they actually have probiotic capsules you can take. Either way, however I'm, I'm getting them in, it's like putting some armor on my stomach for the times that I do indulge more. And actually, because I am sensitive to gluten and I feel like it affects my health in a lot of ways, if I'm going to indulge in gluten, what I'll usually do is load up on enzyme. Actually, I'm currently taking Sun Warriors enzymes. And then I will take some sort of like gut health thing. <laughs> I have the, this interesting... Um, one that I'm experimenting with right now, and I forget exactly what it is. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes, but it's a low FODMAP supplement, and it's it can help with bloating, constipation, some of the unpleasant gut irritability that I tend to have. And then what was the other one? Oh, I was taking some sprouted green powder, and that can help too. Sprouted food, we can talk about that as well for the gut, makes a really big difference. So when I'm given the option, I'll usually get something that's sprouted. Like I like to buy sprouted organic tofu instead of just plain organic tofu because I feel like it's easier to digest. And what happens is when you are consuming these enzymes and these probiotics and these sprouted foods, these foods that are, are really supporting your digestion, when you do indulge and whenever you decide to quote cheat, if you want to call it that, your body is in a better state to receive it. And so I've actually found that I'll have less upset stomachs when eat, indulging in those foods if I spend the rest of my time eating all of those other great nutrients, right? So it's kind of like giving me the best of both worlds. And also in terms of my weight, which has fluctuated a lot throughout my life and something that I try not to be too preoccupied by, but it is something that I still think about a lot. And I've noticed that my weight actually doesn't like go to these extreme lengths when I spend the majority of my diet eating as many whole foods that are rich in all of these nutrients or taking some of these supplements, as Jason mentioned. And that's part of the reason that I, I like to sneak in foods. You know, with I was mentioning that lean meal, the salted caramel flavor that that actually makes my coffee tastes even better and it turns it into like almost like a frappuccino because I'm blending it with ice and it becomes this like wonderful foods. I'm getting the coffee that I want, but I'm adding some extra nutrients into it to enhance the flavor and give me even more health benefits. So it's like, that's part of my point is going back to what we were saying about healthy food or unprocessed food, not tasting good. Like we have all these associations with if it's good for us and it's going to taste horrible. I completely disagree. And Jason, don't you have the snickerdoodle lean meal? Have you tried it yet? Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it tastes like a snickerdoodle cookie. Which is like what? Like cinnamon? What are the flavors of snickerdoodle? Yeah, it's like a cinnamon sort of malty cinnamon. I think it's it's like it gives the smoothie a malty cinnamony flavor. I thought you said multi cinnamon. I was no, like, no, you no, mean no, like no. <laughs> different no. types of cinnamon? Malt, like a malt, like a like Ooh. a old school, like a malted milkshake. And and I'm kind of like, wow, I think I'm dating myself now. But I remember in Detroit, growing up in Detroit, going with my grandmother Rose, who was my original culinary inspiration, along with my mom Susan. We would go to an ice cream parlor in Detroit called Sanders, 
And they had the old school 1950s linoleum countertop that we would just roll up and sit on the red bar stool and I would get malted milkshakes, right? Like that's, that's just kind of like, wow, this dude's been around. If he used to go to like the ice cream shop and get malted milkshakes, but I have such sweet memories of that. And the flavor of this has a reminiscence of that childhood memory. Okay. How about this, Jason? I'm just going to pause you for a second. I will make you that salted caramel coffee smoothie. And again, for the listener, if you're feeling jealous, I have it in the show notes. It's a YouTube video. You can watch how to make it yourself. And Jason, I think you should do some sort of video content about how to make a malted milkshake with that Ooh, snickerdoodle. Oh, that's a and smart idea. you have idea. to make it for me because I really want it. Now that you're talking about it, I'm like, wow, malted milkshake sounds so good. All right. So we're going we're gonna to do a, a shelter at home shake exchange. Yeah. <laughs> Shelter, yeah. we're getting creative. We're getting creative. Shelter at home shake exchange in LA. Just so I can live vicariously through your words, what would you even put in a malted milkshake? If you were told you had to make it right now, what would go in it? I mean, to me, I think having a really dense, fatty, non-dairy milk is essential. I would choose probably for flavor and density, a coconut or oat milk. And probably oat because the coconut might make it too coconutty? Correct. But you want to make sure it's a fatty milk. It's got to be dense. It can't be a thin milk. Like I find that something like an almond milk is typically too thin. And we talk about this in previous episodes. I think we did about how certain milks are really good for barista work and frothing because they're fattier. What about macadamia milk, like milkadamia? That could be good. Macnut milk could be boss. Yeah. You want to make sure you're doing a higher fat milk when you're doing a malt because you want that density and that mouth feel and just, you want it a little bit heavier. But you have to be careful because I was going to suggest ripple pea protein, which is my all around favorite milk right now. But sometimes the pea protein flavor is, a, well, I would say they've actually done a really good job with theirs. I might just be used to it by now. I remember when I first tried it, I wasn't that into it. That's actually another benefit of Sun Warriors. They use pea protein, but you can't really taste the pea protein because they are so good at balancing the other flavors in it, especially like the salted caramel flavor. But I think, Jason, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, got, I get really excited about plant-based milk. <laughs> if you want to make it fatty, but not have too much of a flavor, which pea protein or coconut milk would lead to, and oat milk is really high in carbs, as great as it is, I think that would be nice. But if you wanted to go low carb like me, the macadamia nut milk would be probably your best bet all around. Hell yeah. I'm down with that. I, I would definitely take that and I would blend it with some of this amazing snickerdoodle flavor Sun Warrior Lean Meal. I would also add a little bit of vanilla extract. And just to funk it up, I might add, you know, a tiny pinch of cardamom just to make it different. But it's really, really simple. You just want to make sure, oh, and also ice cubes. You want to make sure you add ice cubes as well. Would the cardamom though, like take away from the malted flavor, like a classic malt drink? I think the vanilla... And the snickerdoodle flavor would probably combine well, right? That's true. I'm just be. I, I always like to add a, a hint of something weird where people are like, ooh, what's that haunting <laughs> weird thing? I'm such a rebel. I'm, I have such a rebellious streak in me that I'm like, fuck tradition. I'm making it my way. <laughs> so that's just me. I mean, people me. love that about you. And that, that makes you like a true culinary genius is that if you can sneak things in that people wouldn't normally think about, you just have to like cardamom, which I happen to love. So... I'd be up for it. And also the other thing too, you know, as an aside, people kind of sleep on cinnamon, but cinnamon is one of the best blood sugar regulators in the world. Like, especially if you get a really, really high quality cinnamon, 
it actually has an amazing effect to regulate your blood sugar. So for anyone out there who wants to try and really tame their blood sugar, cinnamon and nopal cactus, nopal cactus powder are two of the absolute best blood sugar regulators out there. Oh, and we forgot about another key ingredient. I just looked up. I'm surprised you didn't bring this up or maybe I missed you saying it, Jason. What about maca? Maca is like the ultimate malt flavor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I already have in my cookbook eternity, I have a maca malt milkshake in there. So I already have, and it's boss. Oof. And you got to be careful because maca does some things to you. Maca is an adaptogen, which means it has this inherent ability to balance your body's hormones. But sometimes if you OD on mock, I've, I've taken, I've actually snorted mock at a party in 2009. There was David Bowie on the radio. It was getting a little rowdy. It was, you, I have actually snorted maca. It was a previous life. I'm proud of it though. You got to experiment. But maca, if you take a lot of it, can really, really ramp up your libido. It has the ability to really kind of be nature's Viagra to a degree. So if you start taking maca, just be forewarned, especially if you are quarantined at home without a partner or a lover, you might have to channel that energy somewhere. FYI. I feel like we're also missing one other superfood and I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. Oh, lucuma. Lucuma. Doesn't that have yes. a little bit of a malted flavor too? It does. It has, it has almost like a light caramel undertone, like a light caramelly undertone. And, and actually it's the number one flavor additive for ice creams and frozen desserts in Peru where it's grown. So in Peru, they have lucuma in a whole bunch of different products down there. See I just wanted to go on this tangent about a vegan malted milkshake because I'm dreaming of it right now. <laughs> it is a great example of how you can really indulge in foods with great health benefits, you know, and, and this is why Jason's book, Eternity. But your book is really full of things. I remember like one of the criticisms that people gave was that the ingredients were too expensive or exotic or something. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, on the Amazon reviews. And by the way, to anyone who's left an Amazon review, thank you, because it has four and a half out of five stars. But some of the you know lower starred reviews were like, uh, he's using goji berries and he's using cacao. And, I, eh, eh, and I'm like, okay, well, you can leave those ingredients out if you want or just don't make that recipe. You know, I'm not an apologetic culinary artist in the sense that I want to experiment and try new things and share those findings with people. And it's like, hey, if you want to make something simpler like Puerto Rican beans and rice or mac and cheese or gluten-free pancakes, I've got those simple recipes. I do have some recipes that have more, quote, exotic ingredients like goji berries and lucuma and maca and superfoods because I do believe that adding superfoods supplementally have phenomenal health benefits. Why? Because they're often grown in pristine growing environments. They're organic. They're extremely nutrient dense. So treat them as you would a vitamin, right? That's how I look at it. But those were really the only complaints that I had was like having too many quote exotic ingredients in the book. Right. Well, people will complain about anything. I mean, for my book, the only negative review that I've read was someone saying it wasn't keto enough because in one recipe, the chef that I worked with, Nicole, she used cane sugar and she says right in the beginning of the recipe that she's using cane sugar. I think it was for like a bread or something because it was going to help it rise off the top of my head. I'm, I'm actually not a chef, so I didn't do any of these recipes, but it, it was the alchemy of the way that the sugar was working in the recipe. It had nothing to do. It's kind of like kombucha 
you know, people get really scared when they find out that kombucha is made with all the sugar, but the sugar is feeding the bacteria that creates the kombucha. It's not necessarily in it at the end. And a lot of that sugar is eaten away. <laughs> Anyways, I just remember someone, you know, they jumped to conclusions. I think that, that's just a big thing that happens going back to the big theme of this episode, which is how we can make so many assumptions about foods without understanding how they actually affect our bodies. And this is something that I really wish I had known when I was younger and really struggling with disordered eating is that I just did not understand food. And I think a lot of people don't. Back then, I just wanted to lose weight and I, I felt uncomfortable in my skin and desperate. And so I would take appetite suppression pills because I thought, well, maybe if I eat less food, I will lose weight, right? Because that's what I would hear. And maybe if I exercise more and burn more calories, I will lose weight. And sure, those things can be true, but they actually didn't get me the results that I wanted. And then I would eat things like Weight Watchers frozen meals because I was marketed and told that if I like eat these foods that are low in calories or whatever they are, then I will lose weight. But meanwhile, I'm ingesting tons of sodium and eating lots of processed foods, chemicals, who knows what else, not to mention yeah, microwaving my food in a plastic container and the health effects of that too. And so I was just so ignorant and going off of what I would read in magazines and see in television and get marketed to at the grocery store. And I think a lot of people eat that way and don't feel the way that they want. And then that can lead to extreme things like getting surgery to lose weight. You know, people that staple their stomachs or one of our friends who will go unnamed took some pill or some like really extreme weight loss technique through a doctor so that he would want to eat less food and that he did lose weight from it. But, you know, it's not a permanent thing in many cases. And again, unless you get your stomach stapled or something, but there are long-term health effects of that too. And I think a lot of the reason that people restrict their eating is mainly out of a vanity. It's a superficial reason. And I'm saying this because I, I did that myself, unless you're on the other extreme where you're eating for longevity, as we talked about, which is another percentage of the population. But my guess is that most people, when they're trying to control the way that they eat, they're doing that because of weight. Would you say so, Jason? I feel like health is like the second reason. I, I kind of want to try to look this up right now. But what do you think? I mean, I, I think that there's a layer deeper to all this. And to go back to the psychology of eating, which I'm a huge fan of understanding and researching, and I've actually thought about going and getting my master's in psychology so that I can have a deeper certification. I, I haven't said this to you, Whitney, or anybody, but I've thought about it sometimes just so I can combine the two worlds of the nutrition and the food that I, I've been studying for so long and have a deeper understanding of psychology. But if I may make a sweeping kind of observation here, I think that we've made an association that if we attain a certain body type or shape or look or aesthetic, then that will increase our desirability and our sex appeal. And therefore, if we lose the weight and therefore increase our desirability and sex appeal, that will make us more desirable to the opposite sex. So I think for me, if, if, if I can distill it down, whether or not for me as a man, that's having six pack abs and big muscles and having this standard of masculinity or for a woman in American society, an hourglass figure with a, a big butt and toned legs and big boobs and toned arms, whatever these minutia of beauty standards we have as men and women, 
I think ultimately it's we want to be loved. Because if I attain this standard of beauty and desirability that will make me more attractive to the opposite sex, then I can find a partner and I'll be loved and desired. So I think to me at the core of it, it's it's a cry to be loved and it's a cry to be wanted and it's a cry to be accepted. It's not about the shape. It's about what the shape means in terms of our lovability and desirability as people. Absolutely. And I think it's tough because we're working against, in a lot of ways, a lot of cultural pressure and misconceptions. And I think that's part of the reason that we're both very driven to do our work is that for me, and looking back on the struggles that I had growing up with food and struggling with disordered eating and the extremes at which I was willing to go to try to lose weight. And then becoming older and I actually eating a plant-based diet really helped with a lot of the emotional side of it because I felt like, yes, I, I did have some restrictions, if you want to call them that, but I had new reasons for those restrictions, for those choices is actually a, a word I prefer to use, is choosing to eat plants versus animal products became so much more about my body shape and the way it looked. It actually became about my health and longevity. And it became about the planet. It became about animals. And so I was able to move through a lot of the more superficial reasons that I was eating. And then I started to just feel more empowered and positive about food. And also when I first went vegan, I was eating pretty much any vegan food that I wanted. I was eating a lot of plant-based junk food or vegan junk food is maybe a better term because I was eating, you know, the vegan cheeses and pizzas and packaged foods and microwavable food. I mean, I was as long as it was vegan, I was eating it. And that was leading me to not feel my best. And eventually the weight started to come back on. I'd lost some weight at the very beginning. But over the years, it started to come on because I was eating a lot of that processed food. So then the next phase for me was learning more about how to eat more unprocessed foods. And actually around the time that Jason and I started to get to know each other really well, I was coming out of eating the 80-10-10 diet. I experimented with that for a few months. And while that diet wasn't something I wanted to do long-term, it didn't feel sustainable for me and my lifestyle, my food preferences. What I did learn from that way of eating was just how great I felt on simple foods and actually how your palate changes. Earlier in this episode, we I mentioned how this idea that juice cleanses or are depriving your body and restricting and hurting your body and how I disagree because juice cleanses and detoxes and any time that I've taken a break from eating a lot of foods, it actually has helped me appreciate simpler foods. And that was one big benefit of 80-10-10 for me as I was eating a lot of mono meals. So I would just sit down and eat watermelon and that would be a whole meal for me. <laughs> or mango, or, or any of these foods that just suddenly tasted so vibrant and rich and exciting. And a lot of the times, we're not able to fully appreciate foods like that because we've been eating so much processed food. So our taste buds change and our gut changes, and we become very addicted to foods. And to me, if the simpler I eat, the often the better that I feel. And the I actually tend to like the way my body looks a lot more. And it has all these positive ripple effects. So you know, it is, it's, it's a big journey. 
And when we're all learning something about ourselves, I think ultimately we have to experiment for ourselves and, and be open and try not to be too concerned with what the rest of people are doing around us. You know, we, we get very fearful of what other people think and what's the best way to do it. What's the right way to do it? What does society say? What does the book say? The, you know, the media and all this pressure. And we have to do our best to step away from that and just tune in to what feels good for us and experiment. Be willing to go to some extremes because sometimes when you go to those extremes, you learn a lot about what you want and what you don't want. I think that going back to awareness, which is a massive topic of this podcast, is developing awareness and growing and expanding our awareness. To me, when I started to realize that I had a sugar addiction a few years ago, it was creating an association through awareness that when I would start to feel stressed, anxious, lonely, emotionally despondent or depressed, and we've talked at length about my journey with clinical depression the past six years on the podcast, I realized that for me, there was a sense of trying to substitute the emotional comfort I wanted, the connection I wanted, the level of just crying in someone's arms and expressing my truth and and being witnessed in that way with my depression and my anxiety, that I was using sugary foods as a substitute for those things, those emotions and connections that I so desperately wanted. And it was because I had created this association psychologically that if I ask to be witnessed in my depression or my anxiety, or I ask to be held, or if I were to be vulnerable enough to show people what was actually going on, I'd be perceived as weak. And so rather than risking being vulnerable and perceived as weak, I would just shove ice cream and chocolate and cookies down my face. I just kept doing this until I realized that if I asked myself the question, what is it that I actually need right now? It wasn't, you know, six cookies. It wasn't a pint of ice cream. It wasn't an entire chocolate bar in one sitting. It was that I really did need to cry or call up a friend and say, hey, I'm really depressed and scared right now. Can you hold space for me? Can we have a conversation? Those are the things I actually needed on an emotional level. But it wasn't until I aligned with that level of awareness that I could stop eating so much damn sugar in one sitting and start to give myself emotionally and psychologically what I really needed. But that, that took a lot of time for me to create that association between my sugar binging and the fact that I was depriving myself emotionally of, of what I really needed. And, and I think for a lot of people out there, whatever your struggle is, dear listener, if you have a struggle, keeping a food journal of the emotions you're feeling when you're eating is a really good way to start to make those connections for yourself. Keeping a food journal in your kitchen, maybe in a drawer, and every time you eat a meal, how did I feel before I started eating? And then how did I feel after? Because I think a lot of times we'll find that when we reach for that comfort food, that quote-unquote comfort food, that we feel appeased for a while. We feel like maybe the sugar hits our brain and we feel comforted, we feel a little bit better. But for me, my experience, more often than not, an hour or two hours later, I'm back to feeling depressed. I'm back to feeling anxious. I'm back to feeling stressed. It doesn't really work in the long run. So keeping a food journal helps to grow that awareness of the emotional and psychological associations that you feel before and after a meal. Absolutely. And I also feel like there's nothing wrong with finding happiness from food. <laughs> you know, one of the articles that we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com, that's W E L L E V A T R.com, where we have all the show notes for our episodes. We'll link to some really great articles about the subject matter. And one of the authors was saying that it's helpful to see 
a cheat meal as a reward, as a way to occasionally add variety to your diet. It's your version of indulgence. And another article said that ultimately we're all responsible for our own happiness. And if a little extra sauce and vegan cheese, I'm I'm putting the word vegan, they didn't say vegan, they said cheese. But let's just say in our case, vegan cheese is what your happiness depends on at the moment, then so be it. And to Jason's point, I think ultimately our happiness is not dependent on foods. Our happiness is generally something else. But if in that moment, you want to take a little shortcut, if you want to take the path of least resistance and indulge in something because that feels like it's going to make you happy, then there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, right? I mean, I just think looking at food as right and wrong in general is a bit odd. You know, Ultimately, food is about survival. And yeah, we can use that for happiness. And yeah, we can use that for longevity and to increase how we feel and to shape how we look. But we all have our different reasons for eating what we're eating in that moment. And it's so important not to judge ourselves and other people because we don't know exactly what they're going through. You know, it's like if you judge someone for eating too strictly, you don't know if they're struggling with an eating disorder. And if you criticize them, if you judge them, it can trigger them in a really negative way because there's so many emotions tied into that. And the opposite could be true too. We judge people for their body shapes and we see overweight people eating and we think if only they would stop eating that food, maybe they would lose weight. First of all, that might not even be true. Absolutely. Correct. No, we make so much judgments based on what somebody looks and how they eat. And yeah, food does play a big role in how we look, but it's not always super simple. And we don't know how hard somebody's trying. And we don't know what if they're just having their cheat meal? What if the rest of their meals are completely different, but you just happen to see them eating a certain way in one moment? We just can't make any assumption about that because we don't know somebody's history. And I think it's also equally important to be kind to yourself. And if you want to indulge, if you want to see food as a reward, if you want to tie food to your happiness, well, that's okay. It's okay to do that. I think to Jason's point, we also have to pay attention to how often we're doing that. And if we're using food as a crutch, well, maybe we can shift things a little bit and and find other sources of happiness, whether it's laughter or taking a walk outside, spending time with friends, being with a companion animal, There's so many other ways to feel happy. And sometimes we eat food out of boredom. Maybe we are dehydrated and we need to drink a glass of water or maybe we need to go distract ourselves. I mean, I've battled a lot with this during the stay-at-home order where I felt really bored at times. And it's hard to even admit that because there's so much judgment around feeling boredom. But I'll be honest, sometimes I feel bored. Sometimes I feel antsy. Sometimes staying at home, there's only so much I want to do on my computer and I'm bored of being in front of my computer and I I just eating food sounds a lot more interesting than staring at my screen. (laughs) You know, like there's so many emotional reasons why we choose to eat. And I guess if we can remove that judgment and that fear around the long-term impacts, the truth is I've gone through a lot of periods of indulgence and generally indulging a lot over the course of a month or two has not made that big of an impact on my body. My body is usually impacted when I eat a certain way for months at a time, if not a year. It creeps up a lot slower 
than we are led to believe. We have this fear that if we eat a donut, that we're going to gain a pound from it immediately. That's just not true. That's not how it works for most bodies, right? There's a lot of advanced things that are happening in our body when we eat a donut from all the carbohydrates that, that are circling through our cells or our bloodstreams and all that. But it doesn't mean that it's going to ruin you just because you have that one indulgence. And I've certainly learned during quarantine, I've, I've weighed myself a number of times just to see what's happening it's, as a way to track my body. And I've actually been very surprised that I've barely gained weight with all the indulgence that I've done, right? <laughs> but I will say that even if I'm not gaining weight, it has impacted things like my sleep and my mood and my energy and my digestion. Those things, I will notice a difference after sometimes just one meal can really throw me off a lot. So that's a long-winded answer to say that we just have to keep ourselves balanced in whatever that means to us and whatever important to us. Yeah, I want to comment too, Whitney, on the proverbial donut versus our thoughts about eating the donut, right? There's the actual consumption of the thing. And then there's the thoughts and associations that we have with eating the thing. And in my book, Eternity, there's an interesting part, and I believe the weight loss section, Eat for Weight Loss, where they did a study years ago with Japanese women, where they looked at their psychological associations with food and the amount of cortisol, which is one of the primary stress hormones that our body releases when we are stressed, anxious, or in fight or flight. And when we're feeling guilt and stress and anxiety or judging ourselves for our food choices, it's possible that the cortisol levels can spike in our body. And they noticed that there was a corollary between consistently elevated levels of cortisol and retaining weight with these women, right? So the point I want to make here is own your choices, right? If you're going to have the glazed donut, if you're going to have the slice of chocolate cake, if you're going to have the salted caramel frappuccino, have it and feel as good as you can about owning that choice. The agency you have was saying, you know what? I'm doing this and I'm going to enjoy and indulge the hell out of this thing is first of all, going to be psychologically healthier for you. B, it's going to be hormonally healthier for you because when you have the guilt and the stress and the judgment, the cortisol goes up. And with this research and other research that I've referenced in the book, there is an association between cortisol and weight gain. If you just own the damn choice and enjoy the cake, the frappuccino, the donut, the cookie, and just say, oh, and really close your eyes and bask in the moment and just, just really appreciate on a sensual level the choice you're making, that is much healthier physically and psychologically than guilting and shaming yourself after you've eaten it. Absolutely. Well, I'm super curious what the listener has to think about all of this. And I sometimes wish that we were on stage or or in like a <laughs> a roundtable discussion or or something where we could ask other people in the audience for their live feedback. But what you can do is go to our website, wellevator.com. And in the podcast section, there is a comment section. So you can actually share your thoughts right there. You can also reach out to us on social media. We're at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok even, although we don't post very many videos right now, but maybe we will in the future. And we love hearing from you privately or publicly. So if you want to comment on a post, you want to comment on a story, which ultimately goes into our direct message box on Instagram or Facebook, which is another place you can reach us. You can also email us. We just simply want to hear from you in whichever method is most comfortable and easy for you. 
And just having you part of the conversation is really meaningful. And speaking of which, you can get more involved with the podcast and our work by supporting us on Patreon. You can become a patron. The website is called Patreon, but (laughs) if you join, you become a patron. And that is at patreon.com slash wellevator. I know it's probably a little confusing, but if you look up this might get uncomfortable, you will find our patron. And for a little bit of financial support every month, you be- get to become part of our inner community. Inner com- Is that the right word? Inside community? Our inside circle? Sure. Inner circle. That's the term I was looking for. <laughs> and you get little perks. You get to offer suggestions and upcoming episodes. Sometimes you get to hear episodes before they're released. We try to add a, a number of things in there. And in exchange, we use those funds to pay the bills. <laughs> We've got a number of finances involved. And we're also trying to expand into more equipment, investing in different things that can make this podcast sound better and reach more people. There's a lot that we'd love to do and your financial support is really, really helpful for us. And speaking of financial support, we want to give a big shout out and thank you to our amazing sponsor, Sun Warrior, who we mentioned earlier. You can learn more about them and get a discount on our website, wellevator.com in the podcast section. We will link to them and their amazing products. We talked about their salted caramel and snickerdoodle lean meals Jason talked about their beauty greens and collagen powders. They make a lot of amazing products, not to mention their digestive enzymes that I use, their probiotics. They just have so much. We absolutely adore them and we are so grateful for their support. And on that note, I do want to give a small plug to the course that I did with Commune. If you, dear listener, are interested in learning more about my perspectives on the psychology of eating and how it affects our mood and brain chemistry. Good Mood Food is a 10-day course that I did with our dear friends at Commune, and we will also link to that 10-day course in the show notes if you want to dig into more recipes and nutritional content and ways that you can optimize your mood and your brain health and your emotional relationship to your food choices. We always love to empower you with as many resources beyond the podcast as possible. So if you are research junkies and life experimentalists like Whitney and I, you can join us on this journey of knowing thyself. We, again, talk so much about self-awareness and conscientious experimentation. So all of the books and courses and products and supplements are designed and recommended to you so you can continue on this journey of really optimizing your well-being mentally, physically, and psychologically. So with that, we adore you. We appreciate your support and your listenership and your subscribership. And we will see you soon with another episode here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.